top of the morning, top of the morning, top of the morning. Oh, 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 hey, welcome to another classic episode of the Reclassico podcast. I'm your host, Alex Young, and joining me, slapping certain people and making it look sexy, it's Mario DeStefan. Mario, how are you doing today? Doing great, Alex. Uh, top of the evening to you uh, as well. <laughs> Excited to join you on this one today. Uh, should be a fun one. Yeah, well, welcome to the damn podcast, Mario. Uh, and we are recording this on the evening of April 14th, 2022. It is the five-year anniversary to the day of Kendrick Lamar's album, Damn, which came out April 14th, 2017. Let's play a quick clip. Is it Mario. So in my opinion, in my career as a rap fan, spanning from 2011 to today, this is the most hyped album release cycle of my lifetime. I cannot remember another time the zeitgeist, the hype, the love for Kendrick. It was a communal event. So I think, I think to start things off, Mario, do you want to explain maybe why this was such a hyped release or do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, first off, can I say, damn, no pun intended. It's been five years already. That's crazy. It's still the most recent uh, Kendrick Lamar solo record to this day. Uh, we're still waiting on another Kendrick project. But we can dive into that a little bit later. Sounds um, like a eulogy, man. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, we're talking about damn, and we're talking about the hype of damn. And I guess why it was so hyped boils down to understanding sort of the Kendrick Lamar trajectory, um, and most importantly, what his previous, uh, what the previous installment to his discography was in "To Pimp a Butterfly." Now, "To Pimp a Butterfly" is uh, probably an album, quite frankly, that we won't tackle on this podcast as as much of a an insane modern classic it is uh, just because there's, there's so much set on it already, but long story short, it's a phenomenal album and one that myself and I'm sure Alex and mm -hmm. mostly yeah. any other hip hop head would say is one of the most important rap albums of all time. It comes at a time of not only is it just an insanely good album to put a butterfly, but it, uh, it came at a time where a lot of people I don't know. It came at a time of social unrest and a lot of people really resonated with the messages behind Jumbo Butterfly. And it was Kendrick Lamar's second uh, insanely talented, uh, insanely well-crafted album in a row. 
so needless to say, Kendrick at this point, at the, the point before Damn comes out in 2017, had pretty much well established himself as the greatest rapper alive. It's the rapper that everyone was looking forward to hearing from once again. So once the hype started building up for this project and uh, Kendrick Lamar started being mysteriously, started sort of mysteriously teasing the fact that an album was going to come out, garnered a lot, a lot of hype. And uh, all that being said, it's still kind of an understatement. Uh, the hype around this was surreal. And uh, like Alex said, I, I can't remember, you know, I struggle to remember bigger releases than this. Uh, the Life of Pablo to me stands out, I guess, in 2016 as another one. Big but- one, the MSG event. Donda. I mean, Donda was hyped for a whole month. We yeah. have our own episode on that. Check it out. But all modern Kanye releases, really. But uh, but yeah, Dan was really particularly special because uh, it was Kendrick's first appearance again since uh, since the Pippa Butterfly and since really establishing himself as the best in the game. Absolutely. And one key thing about Tepimpa Butterfly is that the, the narrative on Tepimpa Butterfly really flipped. When it first came out, everyone was like, what is this weird jazz stuff? What is this weird going on? And then it, it just really clicked in the rap community. And for a lot of people who wanted Good Kid Mad City 2, they got something completely different and it blew their minds. And the anticipation of what would Kendrick do next was really interesting. Ironically, Damn feels more like Good Kid, Mad City 2 than To Pimp a Butterfly, I guess, yeah. in retrospect. I think so, so. Now, I think Damn, being such a hyped event and a hyped release, we have to recap a little bit of where we were on that fateful night because Damn comes out in 2017. And the 2016-2017 school year at Rice University was the first year that Mario and I, and only year that we were both on campus at the same time. And we were forging this rap friendship that has steeled us in our podcasting careers. And this was one of the few experiences that we got to live with together. So Mario, you want to tell your story about Dam, and then maybe I could tell mine. Yeah, for sure. This is sort of like one of those fun stories that make me really miss college and, and miss being sort of around the hype of releases while in college. Um, because uh, as a big event, I mean, we had sort of planned a, a listening party um, and we were both at the same listening party and we were, you know, attending that sort of really ob- obviously highly anticipating just listening to the record and talking about it afterwards and, and uh, talking about the music. And uh, I remember, I mean, it was a pretty chill night. We were all there. We started playing the album and like slowly I felt a growing sense in the room of like everyone sort of wanting more. And as the track list kept going, there were some obviously some standout tracks, some singles had already come out that we had listened to already. So, you know, there's humble. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And um, I remember it kept going. The album kept going and there was still no wow moment, no moment that it was like, oh, shit. OK, we're listening to we're listening to another unbelievable historic Kendrick Lamar record. At least that's how I felt that day. And it's strange because you mentioned that to Pimp a Butterfly was kind of a grower within the rap community. And I felt sort of different. Like as soon as to Pimp a Butterfly came out, I was like, Hey, low key, this might be like, I remember the night of, I, you know, I texted my buddies. I was like, I think we might have like one of the best rap albums of, like ever on our hands. Like right now, like this needs to be explored further. 
And I didn't have that same feeling on Dan. And I was like, maybe this will grow on me. But I don't know. The feeling is the feeling has sort of persisted. And and again, I don't want to knock too much on an album that we haven't really even dived into the music as much here. But uh, setting that definitely set the tone for how I approach this album later on. Absolutely. And I think you're understating how much of a off-campus event this was. It was such a blur. I was almost whisked into a random minivan being carried over to to this off-campus party and everyone just sat down we played a couple rounds of super smash bros and then it was very much all right everyone get comfy we're gonna play the album i somewhat disagree on the immediate appeal of it i i feel like in the room if i remember correctly when dna came on and they switched to the second part of dna where he's rapping his ass off like this is my heritage i'm inheriting money and power the mecca i'm rich tell me something you motherfuckers can't tell me nothing i'd rather die than to listen to you that was a very visceral moment but i do see what you mean on in terms of like maybe not feeling like it was the same level of incredibleness from previous releases. And maybe Kendrick is becoming a victim of his own success in this record in a way. But that wasn't the only album you listened to that night, did Mr. Oh, uh, Playboy Mario? <laughs> it was not. That night as well uh, was the uh, release of Playboy Cardi's debut album, self-titled Playboy Cardi. And... Um, I had been sort of following Playboy Cardi since his sort of like SoundCloud days and then his breakout sort of single Broke Boy, which I remember I had played for Alex at that point. And I don't think he was a big fan, but. Well, so um, we had we had company in the car and I heard like the N word once. and I was like, all right, I'm turning this down. I'm turning this down. And it's one of those things where you try to be strategic on when you like you want to leave the music on. But if you sense an N word coming, you got to like turn it way down. (laughs) I've done that before and to mixed results. So I had it. I'm sorry, Mario. I let you down as a parent. I should have let you play your music in the car. I shouldn't have acted embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't be embarrassed in my music taste. Uh, No, but uh I had been following the journey a little bit, so I was excited for Playboy Cardi. But of course, at that time, it's 2017, and this is Playboy Cardi's debut debut album. And you're not going to listen to Playboy Cardi. You're almost on a principle. You're not going to listen to the Playboy Cardi album before you listen to Kendrick Lamar's stand. Uh, not to mention, we were at that listening party. So, I mean, obviously, um, I'm going to give the Kendrick spin. Uh, I'm going to give the Kendrick album a spin before diving into the Playboy Cardi album. And uh, I go back. I think I listened to the Playboy Cardi album on my on my own. And I started really, really grooving with it. Magnolia has already been out as well. Uh, so that was a single before. And then a couple other tr- tracks. I mean, we're not here to talk about that album. But long story short, I kind of appreciated the Playboy Cardi debut album a lot more. And uh, it was a really strange moment for me. And one that I think that sort of reset the clock on me, sort of appreciating the new age of rap, which is, uh, which is weird to look at Damn and, and kind of think of that. But that is sort of what I think about a lot of the times when I think about this album by Kendrick Lamar is, is sort of how it uh, how it left me feeling and how I gravitated towards other aspects of rap a lot more after listening to Damn because of that. Yeah, Damn is very much an inflection point, and I think it is very poetic that it's released the same day as Playboy Cardi. 
check out our whole lot of red episode if you want to hear hear more about the man the myth the legend i wanted to bring i wanted you to tell that story because it's the mario de stefan falls into a chemical vat and becomes a rap super nerd origin story and and so it's it's very funny because damn is a moment even if it's not a highlight for kendrick lamar is a highlight for rap fandom in, in very many ways and we can't really talk about why it wasn't a highlight, why it was such a highlight for rap fandom without talking about the Reddit double album theory. So to paint, paint the picture a little bit, I left the listening party before Mario. I, I, went back, I went back to school and it's about midnight when the actual album comes out because the first album we listened to was a leak, right? It was a leak on Thursday afternoon in the day before. And it was like, yeah, it was like Thursday evening and the album was supposed to like officially come out Thursday night, like, like midnight, you know, like Friday. Right. And so midnight hits. And when you're in college, midnight is like noon, right? That's the night's just starting. You, you're like, okay, I'll do this problem set now, but it's, it's Friday night and we're looking for it. It's no one has streaming at this time for whatever reason. And so I just buy the album on iTunes and we rent out the st- study room and me and my being the chemical engineers at rice i'm not even a chemical engineer but i always did homework by them we're just listening in silence and studying and like "Mm, yes kendrick and it's pretty hilarious but that's not all because as soon as that happens there is a popular theory on reddit saying that this isn't the only album there is a second Kendrick Lamar album in the wings. And I can honestly tell you everything about the conspiracy. Like it's the back of my hand. I still remember it. It's all right if we run through that real quick. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, we could have a, a, a probably an hour podcast on just theory alone. It's really funny to me now in retrospect, but at the time this was, this was like, oh my gosh, like we have made a discovery. Uh, Kendrick Lamar is so deep. He's going to bless us with another album. Yeah. Alex, could you run through uh, the the key pieces of evidence? Why did everyone believe that there was a second album coming? What was, what was the deal with that? Why, why, why? The number one piece of evidence is the album comes out on Good Friday. So the album comes out on Good Friday and what happens on Good Friday? Jesus dies, but Jesus isn't done on Good Friday. Jesus comes back on Easter Sunday. And so that's, that's evidence point number one. Evidence point number two, one of the producers, I think it was Soundwave or something, tweets out a picture of Morpheus from The Matrix. What do you know Morpheus for? Having a red pill and a blue pill. What color is the damn album color? Red. All right. This leads to our next piece of evidence, which... Kendrick Lamar's Spotify background changes. What color does it change to? It changes to blue bricks in the background. Now, maybe that's an aesthetic choice to contrast, have a nice little red blue thing. But, and the other thing is the album has a lot of themes of duality, right? So is it wickedness or is it weakness? It's et cetera, et cetera, pride, humble. And so the idea was this album is called damn and the second album is going to be called nation so damn nation together 
which Nation is a ridiculous album title, but we were riding with it. And and then there was also the the backwards part of the album. So if you haven't listened to Damn, at the very end, there's a big rewinding thing. <laughs> So I was taking a walk the other day. Where they play a bunch of clips and backwards. So anything I miss for that one? I think the last thing was Easter Sunday. There was a Coachella set for Kendrick. Yeah, there was. I mean, the stars really aligned for a conspiracy theory like that. There's some other detail. Like some people thought that the M and damn was like slightly over his head on the album cover, like a, you know, and the M was kind of make like the devil's horns. And then the O and nation would go over his head too and make like a halo. And then the duality sort of would like come to fruition on the album covers too. Like the J Cole logo. Yeah. 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 I mean, just, just preposterous when you think about it in retrospect, but I think the most important thing that I take from all of that is that there was a feeling of collective disappointment in the rap community. And this is, again, we haven't even touched on the music itself on this album, which I'm going to go on to praise for the most part, but Mm -hmm. there was a certain idea after everyone heard the album of like, is is this it? Like, I I, I wonder if these theories, and I bet they did at, at some point come to Kendrick and I wonder how Kendrick felt about the fact that he had just sort of released an album after a two-year hiatus, released the long-anticipated um, next album in his discography after the masterpieces that were Good Kid, Mad City, and especially To Pimp a Butterfly, and then have people immediately listen to it and think like, oh, this must just be setting us up for the real album. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that sucks. That sucks, man. That's that's really. I mean, a lot of the the pieces of evidence were there, but at the same time, like, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of that, a, a lot of the stuff, like looking back on it, is a little bit of a stretch. And the fact that people made those sort of connections, I think, is representative of the fact that people felt like it the album was incomplete and it needed another half. It needed more because it just wasn't the huge all-encompassing sort of masterpiece that that Tim Pippa Butterfly was. Yeah, there was a there was a meme saying like Kendrick hearing the theory is like, damn, I have three days to make another album. <laughs> uh, one last thing on the, the double album thing is during Kendrick's Coachella set at the very end, there's this little video skit and there's like this woman giving birth and it's this golden vagina and everyone's going crazy because everyone thinks the the second album is going to be coming out of this glowing metaphorical vagina whatever it meant and that's so disrespectful now in retrospect and i also like just feel so unnatural like now thinking about it there really was no direction towards like thinking there was another album the damnation stuff makes i mean Sort of, you can think about some of those stuff. That stuff making sense, but it's like can't make the artist. Yeah, feel and there's, if you listen to Damn, he's already sounding jaded, right? That's a that's an overarching theme of the tone of the album. And imagine doing all that, going through all that work, feeling the burden of expectation, and then everyone's just like, "Where's the actual album?" Yeah, 
it feel bad for him, man. I think there was a sort of he sort of referenced it a little bit because he does release like a damn like deluxe edition. Like he releases it again, and it's just the album itself, like in reverse order. And that makes sense once you think about the narrative of the album that we can get into in a little bit. But again, it was just another like fu, I think, to the fans. Like, oh, you wanted another album? Just listen to the same one in a different order. Because like that's how bad you guys want music. Like, F you. You talk about how we don't really have anything we could say about Tapimpa Butterfly that hasn't been said before. If you're interested in that, the, the podcast Dissect is an incredible 13-part podcast talking about that particular album. I think they have they, one on Damn, too, for what's worth. They do have one on I need to check it out. I haven't checked it out, and maybe that explains my feelings on Damn. <laughs> I don't like Let's let's go into we had to do homework for this. We had to re-listen to it. It was joyous homework. We've talked about what our thoughts were at the time. What are your, your takeaways listening to it now? I think like overarchingly, it's better than I remember. You know, I, I think the one caveat is that I, I still don't find a wow factor to it. Like to me on this album where it like really feels like you're listening to rap royalty, like you're listening to the greatest. And that sort of bite was missing and i think that that sort of execution was definitely present on good kid mad city and Tip of a butterfly i don't know listening to it nowadays i'm not as annoyed by sort of like the mainstream bops of it like the dna and the humble and even element maybe sometimes that were overplayed at the time uh they fit a little bit better in the flow of the album now that i listen to it and uh i think there are still moments here where kendrick is rapping insanely well and to no discredit to Kendrick Lamar here, like this album would be the best album in 95% of rappers discographies. Um, but he is upper echelon. And uh, there was, you know, when I think to myself, like I'm going to go listen to Kendrick Lamar right now, because I want to listen to the very best, maybe one or two songs from damn at most pop up when I kind of want to go back to like the Kendrick classics, like the ultimate Kendrick playlist. 100%. So what quick question, what are your thoughts on Humble? Because it was something that everyone is played at college parties all the time. I just never quite got the hype of it. It's yeah. like that and No Problem by Chance the Rapper were the two songs that I didn't like that everyone else seemed to like for whatever reason. Well, it just seemed like it was almost forced in. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the track. Uh, I'm still not. It's like one of the weaker points on the album to me. Uh, I like DNA a lot more now, uh, but I, it was also sort of low tier for me because I didn't I didn't like the let's play Kendrick at parties tracks. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels it doesn't go so bad so badly on the album. I think like it flows it flows pretty well on the album. Humble does, but again, it's just it's just sort of a low point. And I I didn't I didn't get the hype either. Maybe maybe some other people can enlighten me, but I don't know. People play everything at college parties. So for whatever reason, like I like the deep cuts on damn a little bit more than the hype in your face radio tracks. I'll jump into my takeaways listening to it now. I get a very theme of, of jadedness. There's a consistent malaise throughout the album. It's this nihilistic idea of being consigned to your fate. The idea that we're all damned. And I assume for Kendrick, this sentiment has to do with the emotional weight of being Black in America. This is during the Trump presidency. Trump had just gotten into office. 
And, but I also imagine there's like the huge pressure of expectations of trying to follow up his previous stellar efforts. So uh, my takeaway is I get why Kendrick is jaded and I am not black. Like I can't identify with some of the societal uh, social issues that he's dealing with. At the end of the day, as a selfish listener, I, I feel it's like, man, I, I don't like your attitude, Kenny. I, I wish you were like, you weren't so jaded. That's all. That's kind of my takeaway. But it's just something I notice a little bit more now. That's Not that it's a bad album, but. Um, I, I wasn't so fussed with the tone of the album. Yeah. Because I think that it, it works well and it works sort of on my favorite tracks. Um, some of my favorite moments like, uh, like Ya and Feel um have Mm -hmm. sort of this like jaded very somber feel um but i feel like part of it's because it's sort of leading up to the last track duckworth where there's sort of obviously this big reveal and it's sort of kendrick lamar's like origin story to the max um and for that it feels like a more personal album to a degree than to Bubba butterfly which was sort of like tackling big ideas and obviously tackling, tackling kendrick as a person but more so big cultural ideas and the anthems on typical butterfly felt more like happy and honest Kinkunta, yeah. like Kinkunta or uh, all right or i are much like happier livelier like anthems than dna or humble which are like more aggressive tracks like uh, a little bit in your face a little bit like i'm still mad at you that's certainly like that's certainly part of it, but I, I'm, I'm not so much fussed with the tone of it, but more so, I guess, how that content was, uh, how, that, how that content was sort of married to the tone and, and how we didn't get to explore other sort of joyous ideas that were, I think, a little bit more present in Typical Butterfly, even though I think both are, and all of Kendrick al- Kendrick's albums are particularly cynical. Like, you're not going to, you're not necessarily putting on a Kendrick album to be like, oh, this is, I want feel good music. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm not knocking the jaded tone. I I am a little bit, but it's, it's an interesting point in his discography because, so I I watched a video on the needle drop reviewing section 80, 10 years later. And uh, one of Anthony Fantano's big takeaways was that, wow, the, Kendrick is very energized. He has this revolutionary fervor. He and Top Dog are just going to like take over the world. It's like the French Revolution on that album. And put that in contrast with Damn, where it seems like he's seen a lot of shit and gone through his whole career. Like Section 80, his career is just taken off. He's got a lot of stuff to show the world. And Damn, it's like, what more can I do? So I think it's an interesting contrast. There's definitely a, like a, a hangover feeling throughout the album of like cloudy day. Like I, I can't ever overcome the mountain that I just overcame again. So there, there's sort of, there's sort of that feeling. And of course, after a championship type album, like tip of a butterfly, I mean, who I, I can't, I can't think of anyone who's dropped an album that good and had the next, their next album be still in sort of conversation, maybe Kanye. Maybe Kanye a couple times, a couple different times, but still every time, yeah, duh. almost every time, almost every time, but but yeah, the few and far between. I mean, yeah. Stuff. So I I had that in actually what's aged the best, it because I I think 
the further we get away from Dan, the more Dan makes sense in the context of Kendrick's career. Do you have anything that's else that's aged the best? I would say I just I like to highlight the the slower songs on this album, and the ones that I think those are the ones also that are more like lyrically deliberate. And I'm talking about songs like Ya yeah and Feel and Pride and Fear and uh, and Duckworth as well. The 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 final track where there's there's a lot of lyricism to it. You get a pause. You get to really listen to Kendrick, and those have aged really well to me because there's more to discover on each track, and those are ones where the lyrics will keep you coming back because you'll discover something cool in them every time. And uh, the beats are cool too. And I, I think all of those tracks are like those are really solid tracks, and, and two or three of those, like I said earlier, go into like sort of Hall of Fame Kendrick tracks. There's just not enough of them on this record, and I think the the more heavily like sounding Sonic songs kind of take away from it and I'll, I'll get into that in the next section absolutely kendrick's pen game holds up and especially on a song called fear which or sorry not fear uh feel which i i think is a hall of fame kendrick and there's another song which i think is is really good there that uh, i really like pride so i'll, I'll just say that right there it's it's pride different too. it's like a rock song you and I see in a perfect world I choose faith over riches I'll choose work over bitches I'll make schools out of prison I'll take all the religions and put them all in one service Just to tell them we ain't shit But he's been perfect world And it's doesn't even feel like a rap song And it's Kendrick being his own version of Kendrick Yeah, I love Pride Pride's one of my favorites on this on this album as well We'll, we'll go through some of our, our favorite songs, songs for sure. And I know we've been kind of talking about the disappointment of it, but what, what's age the worst on? Let's, let's get it all out of the bag. What's age the worst on this? In uh, terms of actually like aging, um, the worst, I think that it's an album that kind of had to happen because as you mentioned earlier, a little bit of these you alluded to, this is kind of the album that makes Kendrick mainstream. Like what's the Pippa Butterfly comes out, comes out. He's still not this mega like superstar and eventually obviously after the praise that tip of butterfly got this is his exhibition show to all his new fans and it ends up being more mainstream i think as a result it has tracks like dna like humble like element that seem more aimed at like hey let's have everyone listen to this and that's kind of happened before in kendrick's career a little bit Maybe you could say with All Right. Maybe you could say some, some, uh, somehow with Kinkunta. Maybe you could say also with Swimming Pools and Backseat Freestyle from Good Kid Mad City that were, fair, that were you know, party favorites at the time. But still, those had a deeper sort of element to them. And uh, I feel like they weren't they weren't this. And, and that that's sort of what I'm frustrated with on this album, like thinking about it in retrospect. Like when I talk about just the music. A lot of our criticism is more the reaction to the music than the actual music, which holds up as a decently good an offering. I think why I have for what's age the worst is I think there's a gross misunderstanding of what makes Kendrick's music great. People like it when Kendrick raps fast, when he raps explosively, when he raps weird and like an alien. And I like that too. And that, that's good and all, but I think what really makes Kendrick's music great is its emotional connection and its spirituality. On every Kendrick album from Section 80 even, there's a point where things like really fall apart. Like think of uh, 
sing about me, I'm dying of thirst when they're just about to give up and someone has to rally them and bring them back. Fuck, I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of fucking running. I'm tired of this shit. My brother, homie. Is that what I think that is? I know that's not what I think that is. Why are you so angry? See, you young men are dying of thirst. I think about maybe my favorite Kendrick Lamar song, which is the I album version, where the crowd is about to start a riot and he cuts it and gives this incredible rousing speech to bring everyone together and it leads to moral man. We're gonna do some acapella shit before we get back to all my niggas. Listen, listen to this. I promise Dave I never used the phrase fuck nigga. He said, think about what you saying. Fuck niggas. No better than Samuel on the Django. No better than a white man with slave boats. Sound like I needed some soul searching. My pops gave me some game in real person. So I like I like the guy by the campfire in Section 80 who's saying Section 80, Section 80 babies. Like, like young men who learn to do everything spiteful. And you want to ride with Kendrick and and emotionally connect to him and he tries to do that a little bit here but it's i don't think it pops nearly as much as it does on those first three offerings if that makes sense and i think uh i hate that this album is always going to be compared to typical butterfly but it's inevitable but a lot of the frustration comes from the fact that obviously like we talked about kendrick's pen game holds up on this album but he doesn't use it as much and it's frustrating because this album sort of gets more attention and this is the album that uh, for those of you who don't know, who don't know, this is this album won the Pulitzer Prize. It's the only rap album to ever do so. It's like a sorry we didn't give the Pulitzer to to Pimp a Butterfly. Exactly, it all felt like that. It all felt like that. It felt like, hey, we missed you on the last one. We weren't caught up to speed on how good this was. But here's the consolation prize for another album that's good, but shorter and less impactful and less culturally significant and just not as magnificent and not as huge uh, of a magnum opus as Tip of a Butterfly was. And Damn's not meant to be that uh, anymore. Uh, it's sort of a growth, but yeah, it, it ends up, it ends up falling, falling flat on those like grandiose things that Tip of a Butterfly did so, so well. And so there's a little bit of frustration there, but when he does come with it, he comes with it. And I've, I've highlighted tracks like that, like feel like fear like pride, like, yeah, where I think he's, he's going at it lyrically and he's so good. I just wish sonically it sounded more like Tip of a Butterfly and I wish he would have stuck to that jazz stuff that gave it a little bit more of a soul. And that, that's one thing I, I guess about the jaded tone that it feels Kendrick you know, has lost a little bit of soul on this, on this album. And that's kind of sad. I mean, it's a stylistic yeah. choice, I think, right? Like, I don't think he's like lost hunger or anything, but he does sound like a little less soulful. Absolutely. And I think another thing that about re-listening to Damn, I also kind of realized that Section 80 through Damn have a very similar structure. Uh, Usually it starts off, there's an eerie message at the beginning. So there's Shireen, Master Splinter, Daughter. There's and on blood on this particular album, there's the old blind lady who shoots him. I love that skit. I think that's a, a great skit and a great opener to the album. And then you have the very bombastic 
a single where Kendrick's rapping and being he is rapping his ass off and and boasting and just being the radio radio Kendrick that's backseat freestyle that's DNA on this particular one that's King Kunta on to Pimp a Butterfly and then like things kind of slow down and he has kind of this fall from grace uh think you um on to Pimp a Butterfly And then shit really falls apart and he has to rally the troops at the very end. So say something like fear is maybe the emotional center of this album, or at least in terms of concept, conceptual plot. And that serves the same thing as I album version, as well as sing about me dying of thirst. And then we have a happy opener to the end. And so, so in my sort of what's age the worst, it's like, Kendrick's kind of had used the same album structure. I wonder if he's creatively having difficulty trying to find another angle to do these albums. Granted, this structure has worked arguably four times out of four. So I think honestly, to me, it's close because if it was just a little longer and some of the tracks were different and sonically, it sounded more like Kendrick's past two albums. I think it would be a hit for me, but it's just not quite the sound I'm looking for. Um, in, in some aspects, which keeps me from coming back to it as often. Again, it's still a masterfully crafted album, but I think of it like Good Kid, Mad City is like Kendrick doing rap rap. And then Tip of a Butterfly is him doing jazz rap. And Damn gets close to almost like rock rap. And yeah. it's not quite go as well for me as the rap rap and the jazz rap. And that's just a shame. I could, it probably speaks to my taste for a bit, but I do know a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people, but a few people that say that Damn is their favorite Kendrick Lamar album. And I got a good friend that is very adamant about that. Um, and he comes from more of a Brock background. So I can see how a lot of people may listen to that and be like, okay, yeah, this, this really works for me. Like this is a lot of the sounds that I'm looking for. And maybe they're going to pick one or two tracks that they dislike, but then the rest of it's going to really work for them. And uh, fair play. I mean, it's still a really great album. It's just, uh, it's not the, it's not the huge magnum opus that the last one was. One quick thing I want to throw in is, and going back to, this is the release the same day, Playboy Cardi's career essentially starts. It's interesting seeing Kendrick in the midst of the, of trap music's explosion and especially the experimental SoundCloud wave. This is the same year that Lil Pump releases his self-titled album, uh, Ski Mask, The Slump God. You Will Regret comes out June of that year. And Kendrick was always kind of like the edgy, cutting edge person. And it's interesting, the same year, a lot of a new wave of younger talent is taking rap in a different direction, per se. So real quick, I realized we skipped best moments on the record. Let's do uh, commercial numbers real quick and reviews, and then we'll jump to best moments. All right. Commercial numbers, Damn debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200, moving, guess how many units? In 2017, let me see. It's going to be tough with the transition of the numbers because maybe that's before streaming counts. I'm going to say like 210. 
it moves 603,000 wow. album equivalent so units. Streaming must have counted at that point. Right. But 353,000 were pure album sales. When Triple Platinum in 2018 wins a Grammy winner for Best Rap Album and Pulitzer as a sorry for not giving you the Pulitzer on Tip and Butterfly. Uh, but glad Kendrick has a Pulitzer. He deserves it. Critical reception. Pitchfork gives it a 9.2 out of 10. They also have an instant classic video on Dam, which if you actually watch it, it's more on cool influences rather than saying this is a classic, but I thought that was interesting and accentuates all the hype around this album. They had an interesting note. They say the album exists for Duckworth, which is the very last song yeah. and, and pretty stellar. It's uh, 100% the case. I mean, that that's the crux of the album. That's the whole point of it. Uh, the album doesn't really make sense without that song. So, yeah. And of course, it's just still a great narrative, man. It's a great album. So I, I, I still generally agree, like wholeheartedly agree. It's just, it's so hard to view this album in a vacuum like the music reviewers have to. Absolutely. Uh, Metacritic aggregated critic reviews gave it a 96 out of 100. The highest rated hip hop album of all time on Metacritic. Rolling Stone says it's the 175th greatest album of all time. I had it fourth on my album of the year list. One of the main dissenters is Anthony Fantano. The Needle Drop gives it a 7 out of 10. One of his five most notorious reviews, because this is the same year he gives Lil Pump a 7 out of 10. He gives Lil Yachty a 7 out of 10. And he got a lot of shit for it. And so it's kind of interesting Ain't to look back now. Let's go to best moments. What is your favorite moment on Dan? I think uh, I really love the spoiler, I guess, for my the next category. But I love the moment Rihanna comes in on loyalty. I think it she comes in right at the moment that this album needed a feature and it works so well. I just love her verse on it and I wish she made more music. So shout out Rihanna. Um, I also, of course, love the beat switch on DNA. It's iconic. It's amazing. And DNA sounds so great right after the uh, amazing uh, blood skit to start the album off. Then I love the reveal on Duckworth. Attention, that one decision changed both of their lives. One curse at a time, reverse to manifest a good karma and not tell you why. You take two strangers and put them in random predicaments. Give them a soul so they can make their own choices and live with it. 20 years later, them same strangers, you make them meet again. Inside recording studios where they reaping their benefits. Then you start reminding them about that chicken incident. Whoever thought the greatest rapper would be from coincidence. Because if Anthony killed Ducky, top dog could be serving life. While I grow up without a father and die in a gunfight. I mean, it's the point of the album. And once you sort of understand the story behind Duckworth, it may take a couple of listens. I certainly didn't get it that light, that night that we were at the listening party. I didn't understand really how much it meant to the album and the progression of it and what it was even trying to say. But once you do, it's magnificent. I mean, it's the point, it's the crux of it. It's the point of the album. I think there's a slight criticism I'd have here is that you're not really aware of that throughout the album until you get to Duckworth and you're like, oh, okay. So this is all sort of origin story. Like, you know, 
how Kendrick Lamar came to be and how, you know, he almost wasn't, or he almost didn't happen. And uh, that moment's really powerful. Yeah. And don't forget the, when the beat drops in Duckworth, Darling, I told you many times, and now I'm telling you once again, just to remind you, sweetheart, that my... Oh, Lamar, hell Mary, you never won a time since our... I literally jumped out of my seat. <laughs> it was like, do, 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 do. Like, it's one of my favorite moments. I think my favorite moment is on feel. There's a part where... I mean, he's, he's building this whole, he's talking about like his expectations and, and the burdens that he, he goes through. And there's a part he goes very super saiyan. Where he just snaps at you. And that actually isn't my favorite part. My favorite part is, and we'll, we'll play a clip right now. Religion, token, blacks, and bondage. Lost some visits, some being a certain concert. Fuck your feelings, I mean this for imposters. I can feel it, the phoenix, sure to watch us. I can feel it, the dream is more than process. I can build a regime that forms a likeness. I can feel it, the scream that haunts a logic. It's the very end of it where he says, Who the hell praying for me? Maybe it's too late for him. I feel like the whole world want me to pray for him, but who the fuck praying for me? Ain't nobody praying for me. And he says, like, almost mutters, ain't nobody praying for me. Like, that sounds very corny coming out of my mouth, but he pulls it off and it's really a damn powerful moment. And I, I replay it all the time. I will say, I mean, like, if you hadn't really heard Kendrick Lamar's albums before listening to Damn, like, you're probably going to listen to Damn and be like, this is remarkable. This is insanely good. This is so, mm-hmm. if you really get into it, it is so good. And what I'd say to you is, like, yeah, that's, yeah. You haven't even scratched the surface. That's like, I mean, it gets so good. Like, you know, he's he's so insanely talented. And any of his albums, except for the overly dedicated mixtape album, whatever you want to call it, before it comes before Section 80 comes along. You said Section 80 was a high school album one time. That hurt my feelings. Section 80 is a high school album. It's a great high school album. Yeah, sure. Certainly. And I mean, it. That's not really a bad, I don't think that's necessarily a bad like thing to say inherently about it. It's I think it's a weaker point in the discography. But again, Kid Kid Mad City, Tip of a Butterfly, Damn, those three in particular would be the best album of pretty much any rapper's discography. They, these are some of the best rap albums of uh, the 21st century. Absolutely. All right. So now let's fight. Best feature on <laughs> Kendrick Lamar's Damn. You had a pretty interesting list the other day. Well, before we before we jump into it, what do you think of the Zakari feature? Give me a run for my money. I like the Zakari like just feature just fine. I mean, I think it, I think it's I, weirdly, I think this album could have used a little bit 
some more features. Um, I'm not really sure where or how or who as much, but I, I feel like you can, could have used some more. So the features that like the Rihanna and Zakari features are like super refreshing to me always when I listen to them. I'm just like, yeah, this could use another voice, especially like a non like just monotonous Kendrick kind of being sad sort of voice. So it's uh, it's very welcome and love and loyalty are great tracks, I think, on this for me uh, because of the features. Um, I don't like the song XXX. So I feel like I wasn't going to I'm not going to like the feature if I don't like the song. But I just already don't like the song. So I wait, can you, can you, can you give me your list? I want I want to know your power rankings. So because I only see three features, but you had seven. Yeah, I remember. I think I counted. Yeah, I counted seven features. Yeah. So number one is Rihanna for sure. Okay. And I think I have number two as Zakari on love. And then are the other features I think that people overlook and don't consider when they make their rankings of the features on this project. They're not listed. They're not listed. Right. And number three for me is and it happens twice. It's on the first track and the last track. Number three is Kendrick in reverse because he has, you know, those moments where he's just speaking in reverse and it's like, and he sounds wicked on those. Like he sounds pretty good. Uh, number four is Kendrick just speaking. He obviously has a speaking voice. It's not when he's not rapping and he just speaks. Um, and then number five, of course, on this first skit in blood, who could forget Kendrick acts as another character and he is the old lady in blood. She replied, oh, yes. You have lost something. You've lost your life. Is it wickedness? And his old lady voice isn't perfect, right? You know, but it's something and it's it's different and it's kind of cool. Um, and then number six is uh, literal silence. Just the silence on this on this record when it appears is fine. Uh, better than the next one on my list, which is the, the, the last feature on this album, which is YouTube on the song XXX, which is an actual listed feature, but my least favorite. Clip. All right, kids, we're going to talk about gun control. Pray for me. I disagree, man. I, I know. You know, first off, first off, when you were talking about Kendrick going backwards, I was thinking of Kill Edward and J. Cole KOD and how much shit we gave him for that. <laughs> and so, uh, like J. Cole on Lost Ones doing uh, speaking from the perspective of a lady, although it, it actually kind of worked out. That sounds like Kendrick on Blood. So two for two on men impersonating women on on <laughs> tracks look i grew up on youtube all right i i grew up in youtube was one of my favorite bands admittedly and i don't get the youtube hate all these motherfuckers act like youtube is nickelback and let's put some respect on their name some joshua tree 
they got some great songs. I, I cannot talk about songs of innocence. I cannot talk about whatever the hell they're doing here. But I actually kind of like the YouTube feature on on this one. I think it's it's a cinematic feature. It feels like I think it fits. It strangely fits in the flow of the song, which is it feels like a random tape in a VCR in a random school, a random like high school that's gotten swept up in a tornado. And all that's left is this like shitty VCR in the middle of the desert. And Bono is just like, it's not the same. <laughs> no, and to be fair, I don't like Kendrick on this track either. I I hate the little Johnny don't want to go to school no more. I think it's annoying. It doesn't, doesn't work for me. And uh, I acknowledge you two for what they are. They're, you know, great historic rock band. Um, I don't okay. come to a Kendrick Lamar album to listen to rock this is my safe space i like rap music please do not infiltrate this is okay i'll take some jazz i'll take some r&b i'll take some soul just can't just i don't i don't want to hear bono man i don't want to hear bono on a, on a kendrick lamar that's not what i come for i come for bars bars one just- one thing we need to point out is kendrick lamar appears on the subsequent u2 album uh, the song is called American Soul. Kendrick has like five seconds on it, but it's a home and home. It's, it's a home and home. That's so funny. Johnny don't want to go to school. No more. I have a question about that. So the Johnny don't want to go to school. There are a lot of moments, a lot of memeable moments on Dan. The album cover is very like memeable. I wonder if he was going for on element. The chorus is like, if I slap a uh, blank, blank, blank. I'm going to make it look sexy. There's, uh, I saw a goat, a picture of a goat, and it's like, damn, if you do, if you don't, yeah. Damn, if I do, if I don't, yeah. Goddamn, I saw if you won't, yeah. Like, very kind of like memeable vocal inflections. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Can't I guess so they might have been on TPAP. Cool. I guess moving. Is there a feature you wish was on this album? You, you mentioned features. You want more features, but who who should be on it? I don't really know who. Um, I love the like the I like the Rihanna feature so much that I'd love to hear some more women on this album and some more like, you know, like it's got a weird R and B track. Um in twenty seventeen, um that same year, Kendrick appears on uh a uh, a SZA track on control, Doves in the Wind, and they collab super beautifully on that. And I wish there was another cut there that might have made this album at some point. Um, that would have been nice. Just uh, I'm thinking like a female feature because I, re- I just love Rihanna on this. And it's like it just reminds me how Rihanna should make more music. Please, Rihanna, please. So every time I, I wonder, is Rihanna going to drop more music? I look up her net worth and I see it's one point seven billion. I'm like, nope, she's not making more music. She's like, she's yeah. happy. She's having a baby. She has her cosmetic empire. You know, the, uh, it was just a really funny quote that uh, after after Freddie Gibbs drops Pinata and it gets sort of this big critical acclaim, he was very vocal about the fact that he already had the second album, Bandana, in the works with Madeline when it was pretty much already done. Um, this is shortly after Pinata. And he was like, yeah, we have material to release like Bandana like right now. Uh, and they were like, so why? So like, what's the wait? What's the holdup? And he was like, I'm just waiting for the bread to run up. Like, he's like, I'm just, I'm just waiting. Basically, he was like, I'm just waiting for 
myself to need money and then I'll drop the album. And uh, I had never really thought of it that way because I was sort of on the reporter side when I was reading that interview. I remember I was just like, yeah, so what's the whole, like, just drop it now. And, and then Freddie Gibbs is just like, no, I mean, that's dumb. Why would I drop it down? I just drop it when I need the money. And I was like, oh yeah. Commercial suicide. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. And it seemed easy to him. Like that was an easy solution. He was just like, yeah, I'll just do it when the money runs dry. That makes sense. <laughs> I don't blame him. So, so we, we just need financial ruin for Rihanna. Yeah. I guess I thought where I thought you were going for that is I thought you were going to say Freddie Gibbs said, we're waiting on the Rihanna feature. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, we'd love, um, we'd love uh, Rihanna's vocals on Shitsville or Shitsville. It reminds me of uh, on Blonde on the Blonde episode when Avi mentioned that the background vocals for one song is just Beyonce, <laughs> just uncredited. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, we we had her in the studio. We, we threw her in. Yeah, yeah. Might as well. That's so All good. Right. <laughs> The, the feature I wish was on the album, and I struggled with this one, but I said, Ski Mask, The Slump God. It'd be interesting to see him versus Kendrick in a one-off. I don't know what track, but maybe he'd be put on DNA or something. I don't know. Uh, like that, could, that would have some Nuketown potential, maybe. I don't know. No. Best quote of the album. Um, I have two. You want to go first? Yeah, I just have one, and it's a uh, it's a moment on Yah, and I really love the whole first verse. But uh, there's sort of this like buildup between like uh, the first three tracks on Blood DNA, and then I think it goes Blood DNA, and then immediately Yah, right? Yeah, Blood DNA. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Assume. So there's like buildup. There's buildup on those three tracks at the end of the end of Blood. Specifically, he plays a Fox News clip. And then sort of on DNA, he continues this sort of theme of like wrestling with the media because of how they portray him and how they portray rap and how they portray rap sort of influence on social issues. And on Yah, he kind of comes in with the punch and specifically char- targets Geraldo Rivera, a uh, one of the pundits for Fox News who um, sort of vocalized his uh, dislike for rap music's disdain for cops and authority. And sort of disparaged Kendrick Lamar. So Kendrick comes back at him and says, uh, somebody, somebody tell Geraldo this N-word got some ambition. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that bar. Um, he follows it up with a few like, cool little four bar about how his niece saw him on the TV and, you know, screamed how that's, you know, that's Uncle Kendrick and sort of him soaking in his influence on like the public sphere and how, how he stands as both a family man and a public man. It's really interesting. Now that you mentioned his niece, it, it feels a little bit more personal. I, when I first listened to it, I was like, doesn't Kendrick have bigger fish to fry? At, at the time, it, it felt like him dunking on, on Fox News and even like President Donald Trump felt like almost beneath him in a way. Like these aren't, in our views as hip hop head fans, like, like they're small potatoes to, to Kendrick Lamar. Right. Yeah. And so, so that was always kind of like a little bit of a turnoff, but now that you mentioned his niece and I can see how that personally affects him and why it, why it bothered him maybe so much. And the idea of when you try to explain rap music to someone else and they just dismiss it out of hand. 
have a little story for that <laughs> a little later. Um, so yeah, stay tuned. Um, my favorite, my two favorite quotes. The first one is on DNA. He has a very, it's very quick, but he says, I've got power, poise, and pain and joy. And I like how that rhymes. I think it's very clever. Power, poi, rain, joy. And it's also duality. So power, the opposite of power is poison, I guess. Pain, joy, opposites. The other, the other quote that is one of my favorite, and it's maybe one of my favorite moments, even though I don't particularly love the song, is on fear. When, he, when it all comes together and he says, I've got 14 tracks carried out over wax. I, I think that sequence is... Fear. What happens on earth stays on earth, and I can't take these feelings with me. So hopefully they disperse with their 14 tracks carried out over wax. Wondering if I'm living through fear or living through rap. Damn. God damn you. God damn me. It's like we're we're summing it all together. And I, I thought that was that was fun. Moving on to album parents. You could do album parents, cousins, family members. What are, do you have any parents for this album? Uh, only one, and I mean, there's there's few you can think of for such a big release like this. But um, to me, I think Good Kid, Bad City is sort of a parent to this album in the sense that it's kind of the same narrative. Uh, Good Kid, Mad City was what we thought was the origin story for Kendrick Lamar, but and it kind of is. It's obviously a deeply personal album about Kendrick Lamar's upbringing, but this album is sort of like the prequel to that even uh, in many senses. It's about sort of uh, the damning of Kendrick Lamar that happens sort of even before birth and throughout his childhood. And then eventually, of course, the Duckworth reveal about how his life came to be and how, you know, sort of near death experiences uh, from family members could have quite easily prevented his upbringing as a whole. So in that sense, I think they're, immediately intertwined so i think good kid mad city is sort of the the more visceral telling of what kendrick was seeing and damn is sort of like the retrospective vision of like wow this is why i was seeing what i was seeing and this is how that came to be and this is how that's affected me now as a big name in rap and in popular culture i love that insight and observation i never thought of it that way i uh, my first one is lupe fiasco's tetsuo on youth which has a similar backwards album theory. The only thing is Tetsuo and Youth came out in 2015. So Kendrick, you stole the backwards album theory from, from Lupe Fiasco. Lupe actually tweeted about it, ironically, <laughs> a little bit. And they had a mini Cold War, which I don't think Kendrick ever acknowledged. <laughs> um, I also have an album, Brother, and it is... The album All American Badass by Joey Badass, which comes out a week before on April 7th, 2017. April 7th is uh, 4-7, and so it was in dedication to Joey Badass's late partner, Capital Steez, who his main number was 47. Similar themes of America and disillusionment and police brutality, for sure, and so I thought that was an interesting brother. Do you have any children for Dan? I don't really. No, not off the top of my head. And I no, I don't. I have one. It is J-I-D-K. Is he real? 
obviously influenced by Kendrick. He makes an album about God. The concept could have also been deeper on that one. So, oh, another yeah. album, child. I, I saw this scrolling through Instagram in preparation for this episode. Baby Keem. Baby Keem feels like the, the successor of the Kendrick throne. And I think what's interesting is Kendrick appeared, emerged from the woodwork to feature on Baby Keem's album twice. Yeah. And he's one of the joys in Kendrick's life. Yeah. He's, he's family. What's funny is that Keem is nowhere near as lyrically gifted as, as uh, Kendrick. Keem couldn't make a song like Feel or Fear, really. But uh, now that you mention it, I think like stick him on a song like DNA and he might make it a lot better, a whole lot better. You can you can pretty, pretty much very well picture baby Keem screaming the screaming the chorus of, uh, of DNA at a, at a concert, you know, and his like little baby Keem voice a little bit even higher pitched. Oh, uh, I love you know? that. Yeah. So you, you could totally picture that. And that's that totally sounds like a Keem song uh, now that now that you mentioned it. Um, but of course, there's 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 some. There's some other fundamental differences. I don't think a lot of Timbaland butterflies sounds like sounds like Keem, for example. But yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll see what happens if this next Kendrick album comes out. <laughs> Moving on to a category near and dear to our hearts: unnecessary basketball comparison, where we compare something about this to either an NBA player or something about basketball. I I have a weird one. You want to go first? I'll let you go first this time. Okay. Please, yes. Me. So my unnecessary basketball comparison for Kendrick Lamar's dam is Kendrick Lamar. So let me tell you the story. So Kendrick Lamar is in his own <laughs> unnecessary basketball comparison, which I guess makes it necessary. So that summer, my dad and I are watching the NBA finals and ESPN has Kendrick Lamar doing some weird spoken word crossover introduction to the game. These are the times, level number nine, look up in the sky, tennis on the way, tennis on the way. This matchup is heavyweight. It's no time to meditate, now. Nah. We here to demonstrate. We obviously know you can't just go home and expect to win. We gotta respond. I got power, poison, pain, and joy inside my DNA. If you've followed the NBA over the years, weird and the the concept of weird and questionable music and movie basketball matchups are an annual occurrence in the NBA. And so they have Kendrick like freestyling, like saying bits and pieces of DNA through game one and and as they're announcing the starting lineup. And game one is kind of cool, but by game five, they're kind of running out of ideas. And I'm watching this with my dad. And one time they're coming out of ha- halftime and the camera cuts to Kendrick's face. And he says, stone cold with stone cold seriousness. He says, yeah, yeah. Soldiers DNA. And, and I, my face went white. My face went pale because I knew what was about to happen because my dad started laughing his ass off and it became a running joke in our household and it was something he held over me for a long time. He like, he would just randomly say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and I was, I was really bummed out because I knew my dad would never take my music seriously again. I just stared into the void for a quarter and a half. And so 
like we moved on and like we played i played donda for him one time and he was like oh this is all right and so but you invest your capital trying to explain how rap is like the next great zeitgeist and you know you're right but then it's just this one little random thing someone latches onto and yeah it sucked <laughs> that's funny <laughs> tangentially basketball related at least yeah, and it involves Kendrick and yeah. NBA Finals. There's a lot of uh, great NBA uh, music cross-ups that absolutely suck, but are hilarious to watch. Like, there's a – you remember Kesha's Timber with Pitbull? Yeah. So they have a, they have a Pitbull rapping, and he's, like, incorporating the word playoffs into it. So he's like <laughs> – Swing your partner round and round. Playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my my personal favorite was after the NBA lockout. We haven't had basketball for four months. We don't know if the league is ever going to come back or when it'll come back. And they start the season on Christmas Day. And I watch four games on Christmas Day because I'm just injecting basketball into my veins. And every commercial break, they go to Justin Bieber singing Little Drummer Boy fe- featuring Buster Rhymes and my ears are about to bleed. So that is the apex mountain of NBA music crossovers. So skipping a little bit ahead. Good stuff. Yeah. Do you have a basketball comparison? Yeah, I do. And I can't remember if I've done this one before because like for some reason, all of these basketball comparisons end up coming somehow back to the Spurs. So my unnecessary basketball comparison for this one is the whole 2014 Spurs team. Interesting. All right. And my rationale is it's good team basketball, but it wasn't particularly flashy. And you kind of know that you're watching the greatest, uh, but this isn't exactly what you'd remember them for. And I'm talking about the legends of like Tim Duncan and Manu and Tony mostly. Um, and obviously they had the young gunner in, in Kawhi who was blossoming into one of the league's best, but still, you know, relatively unknown at the time and not even necessarily their number one option on the court uh, at all times. So uh, people would rather remember them for the glory days when they were young and not necessarily the good fundamentals of Boris Dia or whatever, but, uh, is baby came Boris Dia in this analogy? <laughs> if you want him to be that, that that's funny enough to be, All right, but, um, regardless is a championship team and you can't say it's not good and it does, or it doesn't work, but there's some part of you that still wonders how exactly that's the case when you know that they've been perhaps better before. I'll, I'll take it like the disrespected champion that is actually really goddamn amazing yeah. that everyone sleeps on because the MVP of the 2014 Spurs was ball movement and yeah. spacing. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a, it's a good album, but it's, 
it's not like it's not like this versus previous championships, and it, it feels more like. Well, so there, there's in what what makes that team special is the heartbreak of 2013, where I was celebrating a championship with my dad, and then Ray Allen hits that shot. I was like standing up and I was like about to hug my dad, and I I said like. Dad, we're winning the title. And as soon as I said that, Ray Allen hits the shot and, and it's overtime and worst sports loss of my life. In that respect, the 2014 is maybe the Spurs greatest or most memorable in certain aspects. But when you think about the team, like how do they stack up to, it's not peak Tim Duncan. It's not peak Manu. It's not peak Kawhi even. It's not peak right? anyone. I don't think on that not team. not peak anyone. Yeah. It's a lot of pretty good guys so i I see it i see it and it almost seems like to me that 2013 2014 spurs those two spurs teams like they're there sort of because they're they're just inherently champions at that point they're seasoned and they're veterans and this is not just the the players like the the big three but also popovich himself like it feels like oh they've been here before obviously they earned their way there but it almost seems like they're there because they're so seasoned and it's like a good team, you know, a great team that's just plays amazing ball isn't necessarily going to get there without one or two players that just or three that have extensive playoff and championship experience already. Anyway, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that team because they're going against LeBron, and I consider doing LeBron for a unnecessary basketball comparison because the hype with LeBron was so unreal that it was mathematically impossible for him to exceed the hype. And, and the fact that he's almost lived up to it is a testament of greatness. And I think a similar story can be said for Kendrick Lamar's stat. Damn, the yeah. hype was just impossible to exceed. I agree. All right, MPAR, Tiny Desk Concert. I have this as a no, but I would like to see Pride in Desk Pride, Concert. Pride and Feel would be kind of cool, but that's it. Maybe Duckworth, and then you get three songs and... I don't know. Maybe Duckworth wouldn't. It's it's an interesting song. Yeah. Um, right. Apex Mountain. Kendrick, no. One of my takes is Good Kid Mad City had, has better voicemails than Dan. Yeah. Um, Good Kid Mad City definitely has better voicemails than Dan. Yeah. Um, about for pizza. me, this is like this is like peak rap conspiracy theory moment. I have that as Yes. Um, yes. I mean, just ridiculous what was going on on the forums at that time. Amazing how all the talk was about people somehow being certain that another album was coming to close it off. It's still so weird to me. It's uh, not, it hasn't really happened since. Awesome. I, I ask, is it peak backwards albums? No. Lupe Fiasco fan here, Tetsuo and Youth. I'll take that, but... <laughs> That's just me taking a shot and trying to force Lupe into every conversation. The only other peak I have is I have this as an apex mountain of logic and logic, the rapper, because the song black Spider-Man comes out the day before. And that is my favorite logic song. So is it actually is apex mountain? Probably not, but that's my favorite logic song. Cool. Any, uh, any skips on this album for you? Yes. Uh, so I asked you about the Zakari feature. I I didn't like it. I, oh, you don't like love, huh? Yeah, it's just a little too buttery. It's not that bad singing or anything, but it's just like 
this doesn't feel like a Kendrick song, but uh, so I have loving God as skips and I don't like fear, but I see why it's there. And when I look at the genius, it's, it's good, but it's just kind of slow. Yeah. I like the slower ones in this album to be fair, but uh, I'll always skip XXX and it hasn't changed for years. So that's like, that's, that's really my like skip. But uh, if I'm talking about like what, when I run through this album, I also, I'll also probably skip DNA and humble just because I've heard them before. And uh, I find myself skipping element a lot too, but true skips, I think only XXX. Okay. That's fair. More of a soft skip for me, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. What are your favorite songs and in what order? So um, for me, my favorite songs on this, and I feel like we'll probably have a very similar list, but number three for me is pride. Uh, I really like that song. Um, and it's interesting yeah. to hear you describe it as sort of like rock, and I, I see it a little bit, but I, I love yeah, the it's kind of like soulful. I I don't know how to explain it. It's I think it's probably closer to rock than it is soul. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I see it. I just I appreciate it. I think in a different way. Um, number two for me is the song "Feel," which I think is amazing. Uh, I was playing it over and over again today. Uh, amazing, super slow. I think like the beat's very simple, but it's just Kendrick rapping at you, and you really I feel like this album could have used more moments like that. You can feel the notepad on that one. Like you could, he has like four pages of yellow notepad and definitely. And yeah, it's, it works. It's very well written. Yeah. And my number one favorite song, which is by far my most played song from this album and definitely my favorite is uh, the song. Yeah. Wow. uh, I I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. A lot of people don't seem to like that track as much, but I, I love it. I really, really love it. It's one of my go-to tracks for like a cloudy, like gloomy day, you know, sort of that feeling that you get sometimes in the morning. Like it's sort of like that Sunday morning, like feeling where it's cloudy and rainy outside and you don't really have anything to do. And you just kind of reflect a little bit and you feel a little gloomy and you don't know why, even though it's your day off. It's sort of that sort of song for me, and uh, it has been for years since it came out. And I don't know why I resonated with it so much, but it's definitely my favorite on this album. Awesome, I respect it. Where Where is Duckworth on on your list? Would it be like four? Or... Yeah, probably four or five. I mean, Duckworth's again the crux of this album. It's just it takes a lot of context, I think, to put Duck, Duckworth in there. So, but it's a great track. Absolutely. So, all right, number four, I have Element. <laughs> I, I kind of like that song and the chorus. Number three, so there's a bit of gap in my top three are number three, I have feel, which was my number one at first, but I think I overplayed it a little bit. Number two, I have Duckworth. The beat drop gets me every time. And number one, I have pride because I think that is the one I can most consistently play and I highly enjoy it every time. So definitely. All right. Classic, cult classic, or too early to tell. This is a classic, I think, and it's a classic because it's another excellent notch on one of the top five discographies in hip hop of all time. And for that alone, it's going to be a classic. But I think to some degree, I lean a little bit on the too early to tell in the regard that like maybe, you know, in like 50 years when Kendrick Lamar drops his next album or the next two albums or whatever. um, But maybe as we go along in Kendrick Lamar's catalog, this one might stick out as one of the weaker points, but I, I really, I don't necessarily think so. It was, it was good enough. And it's shocking. Again, I think the LeBron comparison is funny because 
it's true. The hype was crazy. There was no, there was no way he could exceed it. There was no way he could exceed what the hype was. It's a testament to him that he ba- he basically did meet it, and it's like this is a good enough mm-hmm. next album after Tomorrow Butterfly for you not to lose the status of like goat. For people not to think like, oh, Tobobo Butterfly and Kid Kid City are flukes. Like, no, you can't listen to Damn and be like, no, this this guy isn't it, actually. He just lucked out with a couple of good albums early on. He didn't but big day it. Yeah, he didn't big day it. True. And um, so I think he was he was there. It was poignant enough. But it's uh, for that, it's a classic, I think, so far. And uh, again, I think because it's the first mainstream album and the first album where everyone was paying attention from the get-go from release day uh, just, just makes it a classic because it's Kendrick. It's hard to tell classic or, or not classic, especially for something where there's so many opinions like Kendrick Lamar's dam. I agree with you that it didn't, it could have been way worse, right? It, like it holds up, like it keeps the Kendrick momentum going, even if it's keeps it like even, which is a big feat because that's really hard to do. So I don't want to disrespect that. I don't think it's a classic. I, I think it's I think it's B tier for Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. It's it's like or it's like an A minus album. It's it's not it was a it's an album of the year contender. I had it number four. I debated between that and the Rhapsody album, which check out our Rhapsody album. And I think if I could redo it, maybe I'd put Rhapsody above it, but it's tough. Whether it's a classic or not, I don't know if that really matters, but Kendrick delivered. And maybe that's all. And do we want maybe a little bit more delivery? No, but he came through. So, yeah, I agree. Now I should drop another one, except instead of waiting five years, because there was two years in between to go butterfly and damn, and now we've waited five. Well, so I thought he was waiting long because it's like, oh, you wanted a dou- double album last time? I think he has to come with a double album this se- this next well, time, right? I, You know, I don't feel like he owes anything to us, for one. But at the right. same time, of course I'll take a double album. And if he's plotting <laughs> something like that, maybe it's a little predictable, but whatever. And, and To be fair, this double album conspiracy is still alive. What if he comes out with one album named Nation? Like now, like five years five years later, the, the, the sequel. It was always planned. You're happy now? Yeah. Um, is there the, oh, uh, real quick, one thing is part of my theory on why Kendrick hasn't dropped is Kendrick Lamar had a kid. And I think that that's a huge thing. Like Joey Badass, who hasn't dropped. So the Joey Badass drop, the Joey Badass drought is one week longer than the Kendrick Lamar drought. Joey Badass also had a kid, also went into acting and shit. Frank Ocean, where's your excuse? Where, where's your kid? Rihanna's having a kid. Where's your baby? I, I think I he think actually Frank Ocean's, kid. I think Frank Ocean's brother died too. So it's like, uh, and he brought that green baby to the the Met Gala. <laughs> um, where's that damn album? <laughs> I mean, they have nothing to prove, which I think is is it like a huge part of it. Of but. course, I mean it's all jokes all the time, and I'm sure I'm sure you feel the same way, Alex. It's like I. I'm not really that demanding, but of course I'd love to hear. We're it. blessed, right? We're we blessed. like it. We're blessed to hear from you. But back to damn. What would you rate this out of ten? I change it every day. Um, it's it's something between a seven and eight uh, in terms of personal enjoyment. I I tend to rate my stuff on how much I like it, which it'd be like a, a seven and a half. 
I have it exactly as a seven and a half as well. So that's uh, a nice. that's a wrap. You know, that's a good album. That's you know, it's a good album. But uh, again, I think the overarching thing is for me, it's not the album I'm going to spin when I want to listen to some Kendrick Lamar, and it's not the album that I'm going to spin when I want to like hear the best, the the very tippity top. Uh, which is why I sort of gravitate towards Kendrick Lamar sometimes. Uh, again, a couple of the songs on here will will make it in rotation, but as a whole, it doesn't feel like as powerful. I texted you before this and I said, I feel like I want to talk two hours about the context around the album and what it signifies and what it means, because I think the conversation around Damn is very fascinating. And it's, it's very much a, a story of expectations versus reality and, I think one thing that really bothered me was it was getting such high reviews and I was like, oh, this is pretty good, but it made me like it less. The fact that Pitchfork gave it such a high review and everyone was calling it album of the year and stuff. So to be less mainstream, I, I liked it less, but all in all, like, I think the con I, I texted you beforehand saying like, I feel like I could go two hours about the damn concept, double album theory and all the stuff around it. And I'm just we're not as interested in talking about the actual music, but I think that's part of the fun of why it makes an interesting topic for the podcast. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything? Well, one one fun fact: the parental advisory sticker is not in its normal space. It's slightly elevated. It's a little higher than its usual place. Uh, the designer of the album cover, Vlad Sepetov said he put it a little higher so that it could be part of the design. That's nice. <laughs> I wonder story. if it was by design that Kendrick has a booger or it seems like Kendrick yeah. is about to sneeze. What if it, by design, yeah, it looks like he's about to drop the hardest sneeze of 2017. The Kendrick sneezing memes were really good for it. He really looks like he's about to, I'm looking at the album cover right now. And it's, it's like he's about to sneeze. My favorite meme was they put a picture of Goofy in real, replacing Kendrick. So it was a picture of Goofy and the title was Gwarsh. And was, I'll have to put us out in the Instagram thing, but yeah. It's fun. Anything we miss? I think that's it for tonight. I mean, I think we hit all the angles. We hit them all. Hit on how all. disappointed we are by Kendrick's And by the way, go, go listen to this thing. It's, it's amazing. And go listen to the Dissect podcast about it. It's great too. This album is great in a vacuum. It's amazing, amazing in a vacuum. It's just after the Kendrick Lamar trajectory, maybe we were expecting a little bit more. But I also think that's unfair. It probably says more about us than it does about King Kendrick, who still to this day maintains the throne of the best rapper of life. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to uh, send things off. Thank you all for listening to the Reclassical podcast. If you are on Spotify, please give us a five-star review. Please know four stars. We are not a four-seasons hotel. We are a five-seasons hotel because we have five stars. So thank you. And if you have a friend who likes rap, maybe just let them know. But anyways, thank you very much for your time. And-